This morning's scripture reading is found in Acts chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible in the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible. And that is found on page 914. So Acts chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Nick, I meant earlier to pray for uh, one other thing, and we're going to stop and just do it now. Um, but Paul Normington's uh, sister uh, has been in the hospital for, was it five weeks, Paul? Five weeks, and she came home Friday, and she is staying with Paul and Karen. So it's good that she's home from the hospital. She's making progress. Um, so well, let's keep praying for her. Her name is Mary, but let's pray for Paul and Karen too as they, as they care for her. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you know all of what we face. Um, you are at work giving us the strength that we need to do the very things that you've called us to do. Uh, we're thankful that you brought Mary home after a long stay in the hospital Lord, we pray that you would continue to um, just give her good healing and renewed strength. We pray, too, for Paul and Karen as they care for her and as they serve her, that, Lord, you'd give them the strength and the energy that they need for um, just uh, ministering to her. Uh, we're thankful to you for that. And as we open your word now, I pray that you would... Uh, enable me by your spirit to say what your word says. I pray that you would give all of us ears to hear what you want us to hear from your word this morning. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's uh, a great joy to tell you something that you know already, and that is that King Jesus is the greatest servant of all. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, the church has gathered this morning to worship and to fellowship and to be edified because Jesus came to serve. Now, he has served well, and in fact, he is still serving as even now seated at his father's right hand, interceding on our behalf. That, that is good news for all of us. One who serves well sees a need and does something to meet that need, e even sacrificially. 
Serving others is an expression of love because you're motivated for the good of others and for the glory of God. Uh, Jesus speaks of this kind of love in John 13 or John 15 verse 13 when he says, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Certainly Jesus did that when he laid down his life on the cross to atone for our sins. The, the, that act of service displayed the beauty of God's glory in more vivid ways than anything else in all of creation. So if Jesus came to serve, we shouldn't be surprised to find the redeemed, those redeemed with his precious blood, also learning to serve for the good of others and for the glory of God. If we have life in Jesus like a branch that's attached to the vine, we should not be surprised to see a servant heart being produced in the lives of those that have Jesus' name stamped upon our lives. Now, this morning we are in the letter of 1 Timothy, a letter written by Paul to Timothy to encourage him to fight the good fight of faith. But in a letter written by Paul to the church of Philippi, Paul commended Timothy for having a servant's heart. Listen as I read chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. It says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we learned about the qualifications of an elder, or an overseer, or a pastor. Uh, these men were gifted to be under shepherds in the church. But Jesus emphasizes to them that they must have servant hearts. They must be servant leaders. They must function in the church for the good of others and for the glory of God, not their own selfish gain. Elders who don't function as servant leaders are not following the example of Christ. But it's not just elders who are called to serve others. Galatians 5.13 calls every member of the church to serve one another in love. Um, Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Each has received a gift, speaking of spiritual gifts. So he says, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. As, God, as good stewards of God's various varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that, that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so with that in mind, that is a backdrop this morning. We come to our sermon text for today, which is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Um, 
I'm thankful for Lucas being willing to preach the first part of chapter 4. Last week, Andrew uh, preached that next section in chapter 4. But we need to get back to chapter 3 and finish up where I intended to be before I left for Romania, but got a little behind. So that's where we are this morning. Here in this text, we see that deacons who serve well are highlighted. So listen as I read 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. The text says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, as we start here today, what is the definition of a deacon? Well, first, by definition, the word deacon or diakonos means servant or minister. It's one who is in service to others. Uh, one lexicon says this of diakonos, it's one who gets something done at the behest of a superior, one who is an assistant to another. Um, the Greeks define diakonos as one who waits on tables, and that is exactly what Jesus said he came to do. Uh, when the disciples were arguing, arguing amongst themselves about which one of them was the greatest, um, which I think you would agree is a bit tone deaf um, as you think about the context of, of that, Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 37, For who is the greater, one who relies, reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Or what he's saying is, I, I am the one among you who waits on tables, who serves you. In fact, it was... Jesus, who in John 13 washed the dirty feet of the disciples, that act of service, Jesus said, pointed to his act of service on the cross. And so a deacon serves and ministers to others for their good and for God's glory. Which leads us then to ask, what's the role or the, uh, the office of a deacon? Um, earlier, Nick read, from Acts 6, I think that passage speaks of some of the growth pains of the early church. Uh, many people were being saved and added to their number. And for many of the Jews, when they were baptized in the name of Jesus and made a public declaration to follow Jesus, that meant that they were cut off from family and resources that they've often depended on for food and shelter. But the early church, it, we, we learn in Acts 2 especially, in the early church, they gave generously to one another to make sure that no one was hungry. Um, 
But they had some problems. And some of the Greek-speaking Jews were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Um, that could have created a lot of problems if it had not been resolved properly. Uh, one, um, new believers would have gone hungry. That's not good. But worse, the unity of the early church would have really been threatened. The, the gospel would have been misrepresented in their lives. The, the problem, this problem, was brought to the attention of the apostles, and the church looked to them for a solution to this problem. So what, what would they do? Well, they could have stopped preaching and teaching and stopped leading in worship and prayer to wait on tables. And certainly by this time, they would have had the kind of servant's heart where they were willing to do those things. Um, Jesus himself wasn't above waiting on tables, and the apostles certainly were not above that either. But if they would have done that, another problem would have developed. The early church would not be nourished by the word, and they would not have been given adequate attention to prayer and to the leading of worship. So they came up with a solution. They asked the people to identify seven men who had good reputation, who were filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and the apostles would appoint them to wait on tables. And this seemed good to the people, and they did, in fact, identify seven men who were of good repute and full of the Spirit and wisdom. And so the apostles then charged them with the responsibility to oversee the distribution of food so that no one was missed. And the apostles then laid their hands on these men and appointed them to serve in this way. So this situation in the early church seems to have birthed the office of deacons to assist the elders in serving the needs of the people. Um, it, it's interesting that the word diakonos, as defined by the Greeks, uh, to wait on tables was a very thing that these seven men did in that early church. So while the office of pastor-teacher is more fixed, the office of deacon is a bit fluid. Uh, a deacon's role is really determined by the needs of the church in the day in which we live. And an elder or a pastor Teacher must preach and teach, must be devoted to prayer, must lead in worship. An elder is an under-shepherd who leads the sheep in following after Jesus. He must care for the spiritual well-being of the sheep. He must protect the sheep from things that would threaten their faith. And he must nourish them uh, uh, with the truth of God's word. In, in all of this, he is called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So that responsibility is pretty clear cut. But there are a lot of other needs in the church. And this is where the office of deacon comes in. There are a lot of things that must happen behind the scenes to make us function well as a church. Um, the bills must be paid. The Grass must be cut, weeds must be pulled, bugs must be killed. Um, the buildings must be maintained, floors and bathrooms must be cleaned. 
burnt out light bulbs must be changed. Uh, furnaces have to be repaired. Insurance and equipment contracts must be up to date. The child protection policy must be monitored. The, the web page must be monitored. There, there are, in fact, a plethora of these kinds of needs behind the scenes to make a church uh, function well. And even more important than that, even more important than that, people in the church and in the community have many physical needs. People need help moving, elderly people need assistance fixing things or shoveling snow. They, there are people that need to be visited. Meal trains need to be set in motion. People running into financial difficulty need assistance from time to time. So the, the office of deacon is charged to lead the church in serving these kinds of needs. And here at Grace Hill, um, we have identified a number areas of responsibility. Uh, we have a deacon, deacons of buildings and grounds. Uh, uh, Cody and Nick had that responsibility to oversee that. Uh, we have a deacon of administration, uh, Mark is the one who just thinks about a lot of those organizational things. Uh, we have a deacon of business. Uh, Tom has served well in taking care of contracts with, uh, for equipment and insurance and all of those kinds of things. We also have a deacon of mercy. Aaron has served in leading us to respond to various needs that we see in the church and in the community. Um, these, these men cannot do all of the work that needs to be done by themselves. In fact, we encourage them to uh, not try to do it all themselves, but to involve as many of you as possible to assist in that, in that process. So our, our goal is to function well as a church for the good of people and for the glory of God's name. Um, we... We don't want there to be needs ignored or unmet. Um, the, the world will know we are Christians by the way we love one another, which is expressed in how we serve one another. So you can see how vital the office of deacon is to the church today. Um, we... We would clearly be in shambles if it were not for the servants, these servants who have given again and again for the good of the church and for the glory of God's name. It is, it is indeed a big responsibility, and it takes a certain measure of maturity to handle this responsibility well. And that is why these verses in our sermon text today detail qualifications of a deacon or a deaconess who will be able to serve well. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about those qualifications in a minute. But first, another very important question is this. Does the New Testament teach that a woman can be recognized as a deaconess in the church? Uh, so let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13, and let's Read that again. Verse 8 says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, 
not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let me make just a couple of observations here. One, when you look at verse 11, that word there is not explicit in the text. It's inserted to make the transition smoother, or the translation smoother. And the word for wives, uh, according to um, the prominent lexicon, can be translated in a number of different ways. It can be translated as a female person, a, a woman. It can be translated as a married woman or a wife. It can also be translated a newly married woman or, or, or a bride. So why does Paul address wives in this list of qualifications for a deacon, but does not do so when addressing elders in the previous text? In Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Paul does not address wives or women at all when speaking about the elders. Um, and one explanation is this. Maybe that word for wives is best translated woman, but not necessarily married to a deacon. And, in, and if that's the case, would this woman be considered a female deacon or a deaconess? And I think it's possible If it is best translated women, why then does verse 11 say women likewise? Um, Does this introduce someone other than the wife of the deacon? Uh, It's interesting to me that verse 12, in verse 12, Paul seems to go back to the deacon having one wife and managing his children well. Um, So in, in verses 8 through 10, Paul is addressing deacons in verses 12 and 13, Paul is again addressing deacons, and sandwiched right in between, he is addressing wives or women likewise. Um, I, I also think that it's, it's important to consider Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Listen as I read that. Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and 2 says this, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So again, this word for servant in the Greek is diakonon, the feminine form of diakonos, or servant, minister, a waiter of tables. Um, She's one that gets something done at the behest of a superior. She's an assistant to someone. Um, Now, having said that, it's also important to note that various people in Scripture are referred to as servants using the same Greek word. Uh, Jesus was a servant. 
the apostles were servants. Elders were servants. In fact, every member is a servant. So the context must determine how it should be best understood. It's also interesting that here Phoebe is noted for being a servant of the church in Sencrea and that she should be welcomed in a way worthy of the saints. So this seems to be something more than just a servant. She is a servant in the church. Um, Paul is saying this to the church in Rome. So she was recognized as a servant or a deaconess in the church of Sencrea, and here Paul urges the church in Rome to help her in whatever way she may need help because she's been a patron of many and, in fact, of Paul himself. So as a patron, she would have given of herself generously to serve the church. And Paul here is calling her out by name as a servant or a deaconess worthy of the Roman church support and help. Now, having said that, let me be quick to say this, that if Phoebe was a deaconess, she would have been appointed by the church to be a servant, but she would not be permitted to teach or preach other men. Um, Elders or pastors or overseers must be men. Uh, Women were not permitted to teach or exercise authority over a man. We talked about that in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. Certainly, older women in other places of Scripture, we learn older women were encouraged to teach younger women. But it is clear that being a woman was not a problem to be a servant or even deaconess in the church to serve various physical needs of others as requested or appointed by the elders. Um, in, In fact, there were many women who were commended by Jesus and others for their meaningful ministry. In Luke chapter 23, verse 49, and then verse 55 and 56, uh, mentions many women who traveled with Jesus during his earthly ministry and cared for his needs, and now they stayed with him at the foot of the cross as he was hanging there on the cross. Um, In Luke chapter 24, verses verse 10, Uh, we learn that the resurrected Jesus appeared to women first. In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, Dorcas was noted uh, for being filled with good works and acts of charity. In Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and following, there are at least 10 women who were commended by Paul for their meaningful service in the church. I I think the bottom line is this, from what I understand these verses to teach, I think it is possible for a deacon to be either a man or a woman. Um, I think the church can appoint a deacon or deaconess to serve the physical needs of others in the church. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in, in the days, in days to come, but Back to our, our sermon text, with all, with all that being said, let's ask the question, what are the qualifications of a deacon or a deaconess? Um, we will address these qualities, uh, specifically addressed to deacons, and then we'll close with a number of qualities that were addressed 
specifically to deaconesses. But remember, as with an elder, no one is perfect. We're all sinners, uh, saved by grace, and we're people who are in the process of being progressively sanctified. So with these qualities, qualifications that are listed, there, there must be a sufficient uh, reason to conclude that this person is growing in these ways. So a number of things are mentioned. A deacon must be dignified or worthy of respect. Literally, uh, a deacon must be orderly. It's a word that most often describes orderliness in outward conduct, duty, and dress, but also includes orderliness of the whole person or entire inner lifestyle. So a couple of questions. Does this person carry himself well? Does he have a well-ordered and disciplined life? Is he lazy or a loafer or a meddler in, or a burden to other people? Would, would you classify him as a good manager of his home, of his job, of his, of his duties? So he, he must be dignified, worthy of respect. Secondly, a deacon must not be double-tongued. He, he must be sincere. Uh, this quality demonstrates honesty and integrity in communication. Uh, they should not be double-tongued, uh, speaking out of two sides of the mouth at the same time. So, a couple of questions. Is this person genuine in their devotion to the Lord? Is this person trustworthy in what they say? Is this person knowing, known for saying one thing but doing another? Uh, third, a deacon must not be addicted to too much wine. Um, he must not be preoccupied with alcohol or known as a drinker. He must learn to be filled with the Spirit. He must avoid drunkenness. Um, does he depend upon any kind of addictive su substance that would control him? A deacon must not be greedy for dishonest gain. So financial gain must not be a motive for ministry. He must not be greedy or covetous. He must be content with the, the Lord and his provisions. In fact, he must be one who has a generous spirit. So again, a couple of questions. Does he talk often about what he has or doesn't have? Does, is he in love with money, regardless of whether he's rich or poor? Can he be entrusted with the Lord's money in our church? And then next, a deacon must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. So this is the person that is believing on Christ and seeks to serve Christ faithfully with pure motives. He is not just busy with active activities, but capable and informed in matters pertaining to biblical truth. So a couple of questions. Is there any reason to believe this person is not a genuine believer of Jesus? Is there any reason to believe that this person wants to serve in the church for selfish purposes. Um, and then next, the deacon must be tested and found blameless. This is a person that you have known well enough to be able to make an honest assessment of their character. A um, couple of questions. Do you know this person well enough to know their character under pressure? Has this person in your judgment passed the test of character that's described here, the qualifications described here? 
And then the text says a deacon must be the husband of one wife. That is, he must be living a sexually pure life. Uh, if, if married, he must be faithfully devoted to his wife alone. Um, so again, we must ask, does this man faithfully love his wife alone? Is this man free of moral failure as a Christian? Has he been known to be a flirt or promiscuous with women other than his wife? Also, we read here that a deacon must manage his children and households well. So his children will respect him and not be open to the charge of being wild and disobedient behind his back. And when problems occur, and they will, he will resolve them in a way that honors Christ. So we, we ask, is he respected as a godly leader in his home? Is he active in assuming spiritual leadership in his family? Is he rigid or impatient, insensitive, permissive, inconsistent, or passive in rearing his children? Do children in his home obey him and show proper respect? Is, is he active and faithful in resolving problems in Christ-like ways? And, and then in verse 11, we read, their wives or women likewise must be. And then three qualities are mentioned. One, deaconesses must not be slanderers. Uh, a deaconess must not be accusatory or give uh, or falsely accuse. She must not spread false reports or gossip about others. In other words, she's careful about her words, seeking to avoid speaking unwholesome words that tear people apart, but instead learns to speak constructive words that give grace to help those that hear. Deaconesses must also be sober-minded. Uh, she must lead a disciplined life that is balanced and moderate so that frivolous activities will not distract her from more serious and important matters. So is she clear-minded and alert and free from distraction? Is she free from excesses in life that would hinder her ability to be clear-minded and making good judgments? Does she have any serious life problems or pressures or decisions that would distract her from clear-minded service in the church? And then finally, deaconesses must be faithful in all things. Uh, she must be dependable with her responsibilities. She should not, you, you should not have to question whether she will get something done that she has promised to do. Also, this idea of being faithful in all things most likely brings all of the list of qualifications of a deacon to bear upon a deaconess. Uh, dignified, not double-tongued, not a drunkard, not greedy but content, holding firmly to the faith with a clear conscience, sexually pure and faithful to her husband if she is married and faithful in her responsibilities, <coughs> excuse me, as a mother if she has children. Now, we went through that list really, really quick, and I don't know how a list of qualifications like that hit you. Um, in many ways, when you read through a list like that, uh, it, it can be overwhelming. Uh, in many ways, it is very demanding um, that those who follow Christ are expected to have a changed life. That's 
what the Spirit of God is, is doing in our lives. But remember, these qualities that are mentioned are really what every member of the body should be pursuing. Um, there's not one list of standards for an elder and a deacon and then other members of the body. Every member of the body should be pursuing and growing in these things. This is the kind of life that the Holy Spirit is at work to produce in all of us. Every member should read this list and say, God, help me to grow in these ways for the good of others and for the glory of your name. But again, one who serves in the office of deacon or deaconess should have a sufficient evidence that these things are in fact growing in their lives. Now, one, one final thing and we'll be done. Verse 13 says this, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So deacons or deaconesses who are manifesting these qualities uh, in growing measure are in fact serving well. Um, this means that they will gain a good standing in the church. People will recognize their service or their love for God and their love for people. And this type of fruitful and faithful life, serving well, manifests a faith in Christ Jesus that is genuine and real. And, and for this, that person can have assurance of faith. As I said as we began today, King Jesus is the greatest servant of all. Um, Jesus has served well, and he is at work in our midst to raise up many faithful servants in this church who also serve well. Um, here at Grace Hill, I am thankful. I am thankful to God for those who are currently serving well in these ways and can be commended for their service and we certainly pray that God will also increase their tribe. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider this text of Scripture this morning, even as we considered the qualifications of an elder, a pastor, a teacher some weeks ago, we are reminded that we are here this morning only by your grace. It's only because of your love, your work by your spirit to take us from being spiritually dead to giving us life in your son Jesus. And it's because of your spirit that is at work to transform us in an ever-increasing way, becoming more and more like the person of your son Jesus. Father, we don't read through a list like this and come away just feeling so confident and sure of ourselves. but we do read a list of qualifications and come away reminded and thankful that our only hope is you working in our lives, giving us life in your son Jesus, empowered by the Spirit that it is through your gospel at work in our life that we can change and we can grow, all of us. 
And Father, that's, that's why you created us and that's why you have saved us with the precious blood of your Son so that we would be a people who are progressively sanctified, looking more and more like Jesus in every way. And Lord, may we, may we do that. May we let the character of Christ uh, shine through us. May we exalt Christ in how we live and how we speak. And we pray that in doing so, we would do that with humble hearts that desire to give you all of the glory and Father, you alone are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And we thank you for that. I'm, I'm grateful for the way that you have gifted this body to serve one another well. And Lord, it's, it's a testimony of your work. And I pray that as we, as we think about the days ahead, I pray that all of us would continue to grow in our desire and our ability to see needs and meet needs with the very strength that you provide so that this church is built up and your name is honored and glorified. So, Father, help us all, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.